We uh, recording? All right. So thank you everybody for coming. Since we only have about a dozen people here, um, that means lots of audience interaction. So look forward to that. Well, either lots of audience audience interaction or a really short sermon. So uh, I'm going to ask for a few volunteers to do some reading here. We need about three. So somebody to read the first slide. I will. Go. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit from, of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty handed. Okay, and next volunteer. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat, some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. And one more. Kim, do you want to read this? <laughs> what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Okay, so uh, for today, I'm going to be less answering questions and more asking a lot of questions. Um, some of these questions may be rhetorical, but uh, I kind of invite any discussion, but it will be a lot of questions on self-reflection is kind of the theme of today. So does anybody know, um, it doesn't mention in the passages that we read, but does anybody know who Jesus was talking to when, you know, there's this parable of people basically becoming the enemies of God and uh, ruining the stuff that he gave to them and, and trying to keep it for themselves. Now, does anybody know who Jesus was speaking to for these passages. So um, he was was it the the religious elite? Yeah, so he was he was talking to the the chief priests and the scribes and in their very religious cultures, uh, these people were like the top of the top. Like these were the leaders of the community, like the religious leaders, these were the people who were in charge of their church, basically. Um, you know, these were the the influential mega pastors are the the equivalent for our day. So the question I have is, when does religion become the enemy of God? Um, and I think this could really easily turn into something where 
I'm sure we can all think of examples of where people are um, using the name of God and not living in a godly way. So I think this could very quickly turn into something that is just pointing fingers at people we don't like or people that we disagree with. So um, I think I have a bit of a better question to ask than this. Um, is when do we become the enemy of God? Because I, I think it's really easy to try to dismiss the chief priests and the scribes and just say, oh, they were bad people, they were corrupt, and they got themselves into positions of power. But I think in real life, people are very rarely black and white like that. And that those probably people who may have had the best of intentions starting out and then you find yourself going from having the best of intentions from wanting to live a godly life to being in direct opposition to God. So I guess the question here is, is how do they get from point A to point B and how do we make sure that we don't go the same route and that we aren't in the same position as them? So um, there's a, some other passages that I'm going to be kind of walking through uh, from Matthew that's basically Jesus completely roasting the chief priests and the, the uh, scribes and kind of listing out what his uh, problems with them are. So I'm going to kind of start with the start with the end of it first and walk back and it'll make more sense why. But um, does anybody want to read this scripture? Not read. Uh, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, We had lived in the days of our fathers. We would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So uh, the, the priests and the scribes had this attitude of, you know, of course we're the good guys. Of course we're on the side. And if, you know, we had lived in the time of the earlier prophets, we would have been the ones to listen to them and to follow them and not persecute them. And so, if we look at ourselves today, I think it's, it's very easy for us to look back at these times and think, you know, if I had been around during Jesus' times, I would have been one of the disciples. I would have been one of the ones who, who followed him. And I think it's, it's very easy to try to just imagine yourself as the good guy. So, I, the first question I have is, do we lack self-awareness when we see ourselves as like automatically assume that we're in the right, that we are the ones who are following God's will. Is this an actual question or a question? It, it can be if you're... Uh, uh, I can give a little... One, I don't know if I've talked about this before. Uh, but I remember when I first started going to church back in 2000, I remember the preacher saying... And I'm, I'm kind of like laying this out a lot worse than it is. But he basically said that the way that he was teaching and the church believed is the right way to believe. And 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 then he would read about these very things. And I would sit there and think, we sound just like the people that Jesus is talking about. Mm -hmm. And which led me to, to the point that you're making is one of the things that made me start the popular phrase when it's deconstructing is that I realized that that if I'd have been around 
back in his time, I would have been on the side of the, the Pharisees and the priests and everything, and, and probably against Jesus. I just thought he probably was kind of a nice guy and stuff. But I, I would have been so hardline, you know, law that I wouldn't have agreed with. Mm-hmm. And that's where I kind of like realized that my culture had had um, kind of formed me to accept Jesus more readily than you know than we would have back then. Yeah, I think a kind of a similar question is: Do we lack humility in our faith? Um. So, how quickly? would you be willing to admit that you are wrong? Or if you if someone came to you with a really crazy suggestion or really crazy teaching, how quickly would you stop to really consider that, you know, maybe there there is something to the, what they're saying, maybe I should consider it. Or are, have you already decided in your mind that, well, the way that you were taught is the correct way, so anything different than you, that must mean that they are wrong. Um, kind of the, the last question with this is, so are we actually on God's side? Or do we just like to imagine that we're the good guys in order to justify our actions? And how often do we have um, an attitude of the ends justify the means so whatever we do, we're doing it for the right reason, so we're the good guys. Um, I'll give a, kind of a few examples of this. Is, uh, I remember in college knowing some people who were very enthusiastic about um, uh, evangelizing and would kind of take any opportunity to evangelize Um, and spread their faith, but um, looking back on it now, I think some of the ways that they were doing that were kind of troublesome. Things like they would have the fake dollar bills that would have like lines of scripture on them and be made up to look like an actual dollar bill, and they would leave those as tips when they would eat out places. So that's pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so I don't know if any of you have ever worked in like a service industry, but uh, you know how how excited would you be to to like get paid and, and then it's like a fake dollar bill that that has scripture on it. But in, in this person's mind, it was like he was saving their soul. So. You know that was such a small price to pay, you know, and that and, and he was he was giving them something of far greater worth than any kind of monetary thing that they could give. But if you take out the whole assumption that, hey, I'm in the right, so whatever I'm doing and however I'm doing it, is is still the good guys. Like that's kind of a jerk thing to do, and and maybe that's a sign of maybe you're not quite on God's side, or maybe you're not in touch with um, the character of God as you think you are. Yeah. Fortunately, the term self-righteous is not a good term. Yeah. 
in in our in our uh, culture. And uh, so I I just uh, I I just think that uh, there's there's progress that's uh, that's happening. Just the fact that we're having this uh, conversation about mm-hmm. you know it's not uh, the absolutes and you know that's just the way it is. Yeah. 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 Okay. So the next thing I have is. Uh, so it says, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So here Jesus is criticizing them for making such a big deal about, you know, how much of, you know, individual spices that they give to the church, but yet they're not worrying about the actual important things like justice and mercy and faithfulness and basically the the important things of the world. So I would add to that, um, I, I'm guessing that the spices were very expensive too. Oh, yeah. It would, which would make an even bigger deal that they're giving that and Jesus is saying that justice, mercy, and faithfulness is more important than very <clears throat> Yeah. So, kind of question I have is, are the things that we are concerned about the same things that God is concerned about? So, how many of you, um, just with like a show of hands, have been part of a church before where it became a really big deal whether you had traditional worship or contemporary worship? So, something like, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about musical styles in church, or talking about should we have a building fund, or, you know, talking about do we have the single serving cups for communion, or do we have like a whole bowl for communion? Um, and we spend a lot of time focusing on these little minutiae, then how much time are we spending? You know, making sure that everyone in our community has a place to sleep and has something to eat or really concerned about, you know, being there for, for each other. And I think a lot of this comes from, you know, are we more concerned about being right or are we more concerned about being good? Because if we're... I think a lot of these things come down to is we are looking for arguments because we want to be right and have somebody else be wrong rather than really seeking to better ourselves and be good and be godly and have the character of God. So, you know, many of these little matters, I think are just, there's nothing to them. They're, they're only there to create controversy because that's what we're looking for is to create a controversy and something that we can win in an argument. Does anybody have any personal experiences with these? I have another cliche. Yeah. Ignoring the elephant in the room. Yeah. <laughs> uh, huh? <laughs> Just done. Uh, that that you're you're uh, focusing on uh, the little things when you're not even looking at 
you know, what the, the bigger, more important things are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> talking about being right or being good. Um, my one friend always talked about, I was talking, texting her wife, his wife and all that. And I'm, I'm as good friends as her. I've known them all close 30, 35 years. And and they really haven't said anything, but it bothers them that that we're getting a house and we're not legally married yet. You know, it, it doesn't matter that I've told them that I've already vowed to God that I would stay the rest of my life or until he kills me, however that will work <laughs> and all that. But to them, the right thing to do is to do the legal thing Mm-hmm. and all that as opposed to you know we're just not you know having a clean kind of thing we're both committed and as far as I'm concerned I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know so but but that's kind of the whole thing about you know I see it at what we're doing as being committed for the rest of our lives as being good they see it as being wrong and not right and it's and to me, that's kind of just a main, major and minor kind of thing. Yeah. So I just wanted you all to know that we do plan on getting married. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> She's made it abundantly clear. Okay, that's good. That's good. <laughs> no, we just have a, a timing thing, but it, it's it, it's like that to seize the, you know, to be so absolute and ignore the fact that there's the practicality of the, you know, the timing thing is just like, let's just sell the house and then the wedding and, you know. And the irony is, irony is, is they will not see us as being married because they haven't legally done it, mm-hmm. but they don't agree with being married, but they have to because it's legal. I mean, the, 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 I mean, their, their logic is like, <laughs> oh, you know, well, the Bible doesn't, and it's like, well, the Bible doesn't say that the state makes us legally, it makes us legitimately married in God's eyes either. But they they intertwine all that stuff together because they're, they're so worried about being right mm-hmm. as opposed to being what's good. I should have taught on this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll, at, at the rate we're going, you'll have plenty of time. This like how you set this up. It's like it's so much like my journey the past twenty years or so. And I think. Going kind of off of that, that the people who do end up pointing the fingers, they pick what seems most important to them, like the the little details, and they themselves, if you are to flip it and look at their little details, you know, they have problems or whatever, they have concerns just the same, depending on who, you know, the perspective you come from, and they're not worried, like for me, shaking all of this out, I try to go back to, like, love, like, Jesus is love, is this out of love, like, you know, I feel like when I get into the weeds, and, like, what's right and what's wrong, and what do we, like, what should we really care about, going back to that, I think is helpful, um, when figuring out how to deal with things, or, you know, how to talk to people, and really, you know, it's none of our business what other people do. I mean, it's, it's good for us to help them and to love them and support them, but, I mean, to take it on as, like, our, I don't know, like, like it's but, offensive to us. Like, But that's where the mercy part comes yeah, in. Yeah, Where you, you try to see something from somebody else's point of view, even if you don't agree with 
have some mercy towards them. And you can totally disagree with it, but if you just try to see how they see things, to me, that's kind of that's part of being merciful. Is trying to understand doesn't mean that you're trying you're, you're justifying what they do or that you accept it or whatever. It's just that you're you're just not trying to do the blame thing mm -hmm. with them. Mm -hmm. Making people feel bad yeah. for things that they otherwise wouldn't feel bad about. I think in doing that too, when they when you blame your you're building walls too. Like if that person does legitimately need help, you're probably going to be the last person that they approach because mm -hmm. you cast blame and cast blame and shame and all of that stuff. So you you kind of build a wall between the relationships that you're making your mission mm -hmm. to save these people. Yeah. I think the that term, the weightier matters though. Um, is really, really important because um, what is one person's mint and deal is someone else's mercy and faithfulness. Um, you know, that uh, I think about over the years when, when the church I grew up in, which was a non-instrumental church, and the way they were structured was one that it wasn't like there were some other churches that a little more conservative than them and there were some others that were a little more liberal than the way they were set up it was a little more like they were kind of at one end of the spectrum and they wanted to be at one end of the spectrum so that they were kind of the only one that sort of in their view had that figured out but the interesting thing is so they have things let's say non-instrumental music that for them is a weighty matter i mean it's a very important thing to them that they see as you know like you you literally might not be in god's family if you do this um, but the, but it's really easy for the rest of us that may not be on that page to just say, well, that's just mint and dill. But, but if you, if, if we would sit down and talk to them, you'd find out that there's actually some, there's some very justifiable things that have led them to that position. It's not just legalism, you know, that there's actually, sometimes it is, but sometimes it's like, no, no, no. If you talk to them, you'll find out that there's a list of things that actually are things that kind of sever you from Christ that they see as a big point. So, I mean, it goes kind of both ways, you know, and, and it, it, I think it's the heartbreaking thing for me is um, our difficulty as Christ followers to walk that journey and be able to accept that, hey, what is weighty for you might not be weighty for me and what's weighty for me not, might not be weighty for you. And if we can agree that we're going to walk toward Christ together, um, you know, we're going to have to cut each other a little slack from time to time and be able to walk together even though we don't agree. And, man, that's just tough both ways. You know, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's, easy, it's easy to say we can do it, but it's very, very difficult to actually do it. Um, I don't know. Sorry, I talked a lot there. But... Well, that's the whole mercy thing I was talking about. It's what you're saying. If you show each other mercy and you can walk together but, but but do you think that I think mercy is easy to do when it's obvious to me that the person is wrong but um, when I'm trying to look at their wrongness and find righteousness within their wrongness that's a that's a whole different type of mercy you know it, 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 I mean it's always easy to ask for someone for forgiveness of something we've done when we know we did something wrong, 
But when we think we're doing something right, and, but yet we should still ask for forgiveness because we offended someone because we have a disagreement about weighty matters, that is really, really hard to do. In fact, it creates conflict. Like, we don't know what to do with it. Tim, you were going to say something? Oh, uh, sorry. I've been reading that slide a lot, and um, the very last part is what's really sticking out to me. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. It's not necessarily that he's saying that you shouldn't type mint and dill and cumin or that they're not important but that they're neglecting the things that he sees that are important or that are being left undone. And then I read the very top, majoring and minors. In music, you have major scales and minor scales, and if you don't have both of them, it just kind of sounds empty sometimes. And so when I'm reading through that whole thing again, that they're not supposed to just give away their possessions that they have the wealth of their mint and their dill and whatever, but that they should also be giving out mercy and justice and their faithfulness. Faithfulness could be their testimony to other people so that they could then be faithful towards God also. And that it's kind of this all-encompassing, like one thing's not necessarily more important than the other. You're supposed to be doing it all together. And... When I look at the mint and the dill and the cumin, it's like I immediately turn it into an object because I cook. So it's like, okay, here's this object I have that I can give. But when I try to hold justice or I try to hold mercy or try to hold on to faithfulness, it just slips through my hand. It's this feeling that I can't like grasp onto. Like I can't feel a feeling. That's just who I am. That's how my brain works. I don't know. But trying to give those things to other people, trying to give out feelings, when I do that, I see a lot more spiritual growth and life and love than when I just give away objects or whatever. Um, but one more thing I just want to add that was going on in my brain, especially in the last couple of weeks, is when I read through the Ten Commandments, a lot of them are... Thou shalt not make something into an object. Um, I guess I'll just keep on talking. I'm sorry, I'm taking up a lot of your time. So, like, what's the first one? Thou shalt worship the Lord your God, right? And then, like, have no other gods. So don't create another object that you then make God. Don't, um, I'll just skip ahead. Don't kill someone. If you want to kill someone, it pretty much puts you in that spot to make them into an object that you deem not to be worthy of existence. So now they're this object that you're just going to put out of existence. Or do not steal. Do not steal an object from another person. So I don't feel like God necessarily doesn't want objects or doesn't want us to feel that sense of worth, but... He also wants us to give it away and not say that these things over here are less important than the feelings that are over here, but that they're all supposed to be part of your tithe and they're all supposed to be together. And it's this balance, not a clean cut. This is the law. This is life. You can't mix them together. It's all got to be one big happy family. Okay, I'm done. Okay. <laughs> No, it's interesting. 
that I think that sounds like that's kind of its own a whole sermon itself. Okay, so next thing. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, so that for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. So phylacteries were like this this practice that they had where they would like write scripture on something and they would like tie it to their forehead. And so like their way of always having God's word with them. And so um, you can kind of see it at, in this case, it was kind of becoming less of a, of a religious practice of, you know, always having God's word with you and more of a matter of, making sure other people seeing that you have God's word with you and you know you you get a really big one so people know how important it is to you and it kind of becomes more of a uh, demonstration than a, than a personal um, than a personal act so the question is do we care about appearances and kind of the follow-up to that is what happens when you have an image that you feel like you have to protect? And I feel like, so this is maybe sort of a unique thing for us to answer because I feel like this is something that the living room does really well is that we don't really put on airs and we don't really struggle with this but I know probably a lot of you have come up in a in different church environments so you may have had examples of being in a church where being in your Sunday best was very important and you were judged if you were not in your Sunday best and sometimes the the image was more important than the substance Does anybody have a, an experience of that going to church? Well, there's, there's, there was always at church I went to uh, hair being short and the suit and tie thing was kind of like the black group deal. If, if you saw some, if they, they knew that if you were out and about on Sunday and you had a suit and tie on, you knew people would know you went to church. It was kind of that kind of symbol. you're talking about just like a normal lifestyle appearances and stuff, it's like, I mean, I know some, we, we, we both, we both care way too much about how we, about how much we look, how, how we look sometimes. Yeah. And I even do that, I'll sit there and I'll think like 15 minutes trying to find a shirt and it's like, nobody cares but you, like just throw something on and go, you know, and that's what that does is what Tim was talking about, I, I end up making an object mm-hmm. as opposed to being a, you know, a person creating the image of God and all that. Which I do think though that there is maybe a distinction between you know wanting to I mean maybe maybe once it gets to a point there's not a distinction but I think it's maybe one thing to really care about your appearance and then there's another to make everything based on image and appearance and I think you see this a lot 
even outside of church that people living like Instagram lives and doing things just for the uh, for the appearance of doing them, not because it's something they enjoy or would do otherwise. They just want to be seen doing it because so people have that like image of them. I think the inverse can actually work the same way too. People mm-hmm. try really hard not to look nice. Yeah. For the same, for the same reason. Well, I I think that what what your reason for doing this uh, does matter a lot. Mm-hmm. I just feel a personal satisfaction in having having my look and my style. But I'm not doing it because I'm under the gun to fit in. Right. And uh, I, I think that the point that Herb made about if somebody saw you out with your suit and your tie on, that they knew that you were going to church, um, there is actually a, um, a, a good upstanding example that you are setting and reaching out and, and, and showing and that can come with, you know, having some of these things as display, but where it becomes the the want for a, a, a personal gain with making an impression or whatever, mm-hmm. that's that's when it's it's not of a of a noble intent. You yeah, know? yeah. It, it was never told to me that, like you just said, you, know, you, you want to dress this way on Sunday so people know, so that they may be curious and want to know what church you go to. It was always about this way they'll know that what you are. It, it was yeah, it, it didn't none of it really ever felt right. I just didn't know any better, so I just mm-hmm. you know, I just went along with it. Yeah. And all that. But I'm telling you, scriptures like this when the preacher talked on it, like I it's like you're you, you sound just we we sound just like these guys. Yeah. And they did never like clicked clicked with them. Yeah, I mean I think it's it's one thing if you were Dressing a certain way just to make it clear what's important to you versus if you're focusing just on looking the part and completely ignoring, like, actually having a character that makes people think that you go to church. Um, <laughs> you got yeah. Well, I would argue that since we're talking about Taylor, we do have a reputation and an image that we like to protect. Mm-hmm. You oh. have to be different. Mm-hmm. We're the not churchy oh. church. Yes. <laughs> oh. So we have to be careful because we do protect our image. So yeah. part of the reason why I came here. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we do have an image that we protect. Yeah, so that's a good point. Uh, sometimes the sometimes you're so intent on not looking some way that you end up having an image the opposite end that you're trying to protect. And that might, wanting to protect that image might keep us from doing good things that are more typical of other churches, just for the sake of being different and keeping up our different image. So I think that's a really good point. When I first started coming here, I tried to dress down. I mean, I don't think I dress up now, but but I mean, I, I tried really hard to dress more. And it's like, it was it was so fake to me. Because I wasn't doing it for the because it was natural or whatever. It was like I was I was trying to fit in with the image of everything else that was going on. It was just 
most people don't why they don't want to wear a suit because it's mm -hmm. not them. And 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 I just finally got over it's like I have to say something. Mm -hmm. You want to say something, Katie? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, my what I'm about to say I feel like combines this slide with maybe the first slide, but and I'm also gonna do it. I'm gonna bring it to the enneagram. <laughs> my enneagram number is like this is my life. Like I care about image and appearance, and in it's been my whole life. Like that's my thing, my driver. And so you when to wear this I did. <laughs> it's been something I've been working on. <laughs> but I did have. So I actually thought today we were gonna get pictures taken at Zen. I'm sorry. No, it's not a big deal. And I was driving past my house, and I was like, should I go and change? I'm like, no. Like this, you just gotta do this. Anyway, this is not what I'm gonna, wanting to talk about. So in high school, I, well, all growing up, I was just so into like my Christian image, and I was very like I I led our like prayer club and I was a leader at youth group and I went and did this like this like Christian women's fashion thing for like three years where we had like a three finger neckline and our our pants had to be at our fingertips and you had to be able to drop a pencil through and like it was just like all this stuff literally like drop a pencil through Wait, what? Any, any piece of clothing like if you your pants are too tight, like these are with no. glass. <laughs> you can't drop oh, a pencil through. No. And like your shirt, same <laughs> kind of thing. So anyway, but I was just so into like my Christian reputation and how I came off and what I knew and how like what I represented and and that was just like I, the biggest thing about my life and and it got to a point where I ended up finding out that people like I wouldn't get invited to things or people felt intimidated to talk to me because they thought like I was this I'm not trying <laughs> they thought I was like too perfect as a Christian person that if they came up to me they're like the things that they do or thought or you know felt would offend me or would make them feel bad about <coughs> being that way and when I started realizing that, it, it it just it was just crazy. I'm like, I can't believe people one feel like that towards me, but then two, it's like I'm missing out. I like to have fun. I I like to you know go out with people my age. And, like, I don't know how I don't know good memories and stuff like that, but it wasn't. They didn't ever overlap. So it was. It had gotten to be more important than the true like the connection. You have to have a connection in a relationship with all different types of people. If you want to, I don't know, exchange goodness and love and Christ love with one another, because if you're just by yourself all the time and like worried about your clothes, like that's not helping anyone really. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I've always had to be mindful of and aware. Okay, so last one. <laughs> They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. So, do we value mercy as much as God values mercy? And do we use the gospel to attack people or to set them free? I 
And I think if you if you ever wonder which one God values more between judgment and mercy, just think about how much Jesus went through to choose mercy for people over judgment. And I think that would put the two into perspective. I think sometimes we, as we, we get so zealous over having things right that we forget that there's an even better way of mercy and helping people to become better rather than just drawing that line in the sand so we can condemn people. I think the second question you have there is interesting because, you know, gospel means good news, right? Mm -hmm. But do we use the good news to attack people? It's like, that's, that's an oxymoron. It's like there's no way it should necessarily be attacked by giving somebody good news. Yeah. That's why the whole hell thing is like such a turnoff to people because they'll tell you, like, you have good news, you know, you're going to hell. And it, it, it's like it's. it's so when we first started seeing each other we had several conversations about my past and growing up with the church and then why I wasn't with the church and there were lots of things that have been described in today's lesson that were that pushed me out and when you remove them and you have the right reasons, there's more of a, in a very good way, pull you back in. Not, 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 not suck you in or take over your mind or anything. It's just, it's just the things that are, are, are humanity's wants and, yeah. and what, what we're wired for, you know? It invites you back in. Yeah. So... Um, with all of these things, um, you can kind of you can kind of imagine now if if the if that kind of character took over your religion. So um, you were you always had to be right. You had to your appearances were very important to you. So your image would be very important to you. Um, quick to condemn others. If you have a character like that, that then was confronted with Jesus Christ, what do you think happens to that then? You can imagine that would be pretty devastating. That I think the that kind of false religion, um, it's almost like the definition of being something fragile that then confronted with something as authentic as Jesus, who is being absolutely real about everything. Um, it would, if you were a leader of one of those religions, you can imagine how devastating and humiliating it would be to be in the same room as Jesus. Um, and so, this is, this is from the same parable from the Matthew account 
right after he's he's talking about this, and he he talked about how uh, the cornerstone that the builders re- or the stone that the builders rejected was turned into the cornerstone. And he says, therefore, therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. And the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And I see in myself often that uh, same tendency towards these, um, this religiosity. And I can just imagine how crushing it would be to actually be confronted with Jesus and, and realize that everything that you valued about yourself is basically a lie. So, um, kind of in, uh, as to contrast with that, um, what we should be seeking towards is something more like this. Um, so have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, just want to encourage you all to really seek in yourself. Um, let that those uh, bad tendencies in yourself be crushed, um, and come to God humbly. And, and seek out the things that are important to him. So um, that's all I have. So I'm going to do a quick prayer, and then we can take communion, and then uh, it'll be time to go pick up the kids. So, Lord God, just thank you for um, this time that we have to spend with you. Lord, we thank you for Christ's sacrifice, for um, his body and blood, which we now partake in. And we ask that you bless this time. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So the night before Jesus was crucified, he had his his closest disciples with him, and he took uh, some bread and and broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. And then he shared a cup of wine, saying, this is my blood, which is spilled out for you. So we do this in remembrance of Jesus's sacrifice. So we invite everybody to just come up and take some bread and grape juice. (laughs) 